we're looking at Nehemiah chapter 6 today. And, you know, I, I hate to say it, but it's a political season. And, you know, you think the election, my goodness, it's, it's, it's over a year off. But, but yet, still, politics is very much uh, in the news. And you can count during political season on a variety of issues being discussed and different issues on different perspectives on different issues. You can count on all of those being discussed. But there's something else that you can also count on during a political time, and that would be personal attacks. You know how it works. Uh, one candidate will lob a personal attack at another candidate who will in turn lob a personal attack back at another one. And sometimes the issues just totally become irrelevant because everybody is so busy attacking uh, the other candidate. And sometimes, though, not only does it blur the issues, but sometimes a candidate's success or failure depends on how they handle those personal attacks. It can often be the difference between victory and defeat. As we've seen looking at Nehemiah, we have seen that during Nehemiah's work, as he has gone about fulfilling the, his mission and, and acting on the burden that's on his heart to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, we have found that he has suffered attacks and opposition from people outside of the faith. We find that he also had to deal with some internal issues that threatened the success of his work. But today, we're going to deal with one more thing that comes into our lives and certainly came into Nehemiah's. Sometimes it doesn't matter how well you handle the other two, this one can get you sometimes. And it's personal attacks. It's the one that if we don't deal with it effectively, it can do many times more damage than the other two ever would. So if you'll, for the next few minutes, just hang on. We're going to be talking about how Nehemiah dealt with distractions that came into his life. It's kind of interesting because I heard someone uh, talk about distractions in the sense that it was like swatting mosquitoes, that you had so many distractions. And, and we all know how that happens. We all know how that happens, that it can just totally, it can just totally take us out uh, from what we're trying to do. So we're going to see how Nehemiah not only dealt with these distractions, but we're going to find out how Nehemiah was also victorious in spite of these distractions. We're looking at Nehemiah chapter 6, beginning in verse 1. When word came to Sanballat, Tobiah, Geshem the Arab, and the rest of our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall and not a gap was left in it, though up to that time I had not set the doors in the gates, Sanballat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us meet together. In one of the villages on the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent messengers to them with this reply. I am carrying on a great project and cannot go down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message. And each time I gave them the same answer. In spite of the opposition that Nehemiah and the builders had faced. The wall was rebuilt. There were no gaps in it. The only thing left apparently was to hang the gates or the doors in the gates. Uh, Nehemiah, the familiar enemies that had been really hounding him this whole time that he'd been doing the work, they sent him a message and they say, look, why don't you come and meet with us? We want to meet on the plains of Ono, which is about 25 miles northwest of Jerusalem, way out of the city. 
Well, Nehemiah realizes this is a bad idea. So Nehemiah says, oh, no, to meeting on the plains of oh, no. He says, I'm I'm just not going to do that. Now, he knew that they were out to get him. But Nehemiah offers them a really good reason why he can't come do it. Nehemiah says, look, I'm I'm about doing a great work here. We're busy. We're trying to complete this job. I don't have time to come out and to meet with you and because I know it's not going to do any good anyway. So I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to stay focused on this work that I have to do. I have important work to do right here is what Nehemiah says. So what we want to learn today is how do we deal with distractions that come into our lives. And Nehemiah right here gives us the first one. Nehemiah tells us that we need to keep focused. That's the first lesson, is to keep focused. Another way is learning how to say no. Now, it can be difficult to focus on what really matters when you have so many distractions around you. You know, life is kind of like one big buffet. And guess what happens when you go to the buffet? You fill your plate up, sometimes too full. And sometimes you eat too much. That's what buffets do for us in life. So the example that we get from Nehemiah is Nehemiah literally had people who were trying to physically harm him. And he had distractions from those kind of people. But what I want us to look at at today is to take it just a different step. Because I realize a lot of us really don't have people out there who are trying to hurt us. But a lot of times we have distractions in our lives that, that... cause us to lose focus on what God really wants us to do. You know how it works. Parents, you want to be close to your kids, which is a great thing, by the way, but you want to be close to your kids. So what you end up doing is you end up driving them back and forth, back and forth, back and forth into a whole bunch of, uh, back and forth to a whole bunch of activities. So what you do is you spend time with your kids, but you really don't spend time parenting your kids. Sometimes the travel is a distraction from what you're really called to do, and that's parenting your children. Something else is you might volunteer for a charity. Maybe you volunteered for a charity, and you just did a great work. You were responsible for a project, and now all the other charities in town come to you and say, Hey, you did such a great job with this one. Why don't you help us out with ours? The church sometimes, we have people who come and Different ministries from outside the church, good ministries, and they'll say to us, will you participate in what we're doing? And a lot of times we have to say no, not because they're not good things, but rather because they distract us and and take away our focus on what we're called to do here at Clarksburg Baptist Church. So like Nehemiah, we need to learn how to evaluate every opportunity that comes our way based on its effects on God's primary calling In our lives, Nehemiah's primary calling was to rebuild the wall. That was his primary calling. And Nehemiah wasn't going to let anything distract from that. So, whatever your primary calling is in life, first of all, you want to find out what it is. But once you do, you want to focus on that, which means that many times you have to say no to things around you. They may be good things, they may be things that sound like fun, things you'd like to be a part of. But sometimes you just have to say no because they distract you from your primary calling in life. There's a national restaurant chain that had behind their counter four words that said quality, service, cleanliness, and value. 
quality, service, cleanliness, and value. The reason they had that there was they wanted everybody that worked there to realize that anything that detracts from this, we don't do. If it affects our quality and diminishes it, we don't do it. If it affects our service, we don't do it. If it affects cleanliness, we don't do it. If it affects value, we don't do it. They knew what their calling was. And as God's people, we need to do the same and focus in on it, which means having to say no sometimes. Verse 5 of chapter 6 says, Then the fifth time, these guys don't give up, uh, Sanballat sent his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which was written, It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true, that you and the Jews are plotting to revolt. And therefore you're building the wall. Therefore you're building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king. And have even appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah. Now this report will get back to the king. So come, let us meet together. I sent him this reply. Nothing like what you're saying is happening. You're just making it up out of your head. They're all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will get too weak for the work and it will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. Like I said, Nehemiah's enemies don't give up. They try another approach. They send a messenger with an unsealed letter. An unsealed letter means that anybody can read it. And I am sure on that journey to deliver that unsealed letter to Nehemiah, they made sure every set of eyes along the way that would look at it, looked at it. Because what they wanted to do was they wanted to spread rumors. They made accusations that the Jews, the reason they were rebuilding the wall is they were planning to revolt. And that Nehemiah was planning to have himself appointed king. And Sanballat said, look, even even I'm going to take it and I'm going to tell the real king about your plans. And even said a prophet has even confirmed it. Now, why were they doing this? Their sole purpose was to spread rumors, to cause division among Nehemiah and his people, and to halt the work. That was the sole purpose. Now, Nehemiah didn't get into an open letter war. He didn't sit down and fire off another open letter back and hope everybody would read it and and understand his position. But instead, Nehemiah just did three simple things. He stated the truth. He prayed. And then he moved on. Stated the truth, prayed, and moved on. Which brings us to the second lesson we need to learn when we face distractions. And that is simply trust the truth. It is tempting. When people are saying things that are not right about you, when people are spreading rumors about you, when people are trying to get you in trouble for something that you're not doing or did not do, it's easy. It's easy for us to mount a vigorous and a detailed defense of, of why this isn't true. We come up with elaborate denials and, and counterclaims. And often those are counterproductive. Often they do as much damage as the rumors themselves. What we need to do is follow Nehemiah's example. We need to state the truth, pray for God's protection, and trust that the truth will prevail. Mark Roberts has written that we can trust the truth because God upholds the truth. Psalm 18, 
29 and 30 says, In your strength, I can crush an army. With my God, I can scale any wall. God's way is perfect. All the Lord's promises prove true. He is a shield for all who look to him for protection. Nobody likes to have rumors told about them. You don't like it, it makes you mad. I hear stuff all the time. People will, will call me up sometimes and say, Well, Pastor, I, I heard that uh, you guys are, are getting ready to, to sell the church and uh, so some company can bulldoze it and make a parking lot. I'm like, where did you hear that? Now, that's an extreme example. But you know what I'm talking about. You hear rumors and you think, where did they come up with this stuff? So what do you do? You run out and try to find the root of it. You spend all your time worrying about, are people going to believe it? You spend all this time running around, running around and defending yourself. And what happens in the process? What happens in the process? You don't get any work done. You spend all your time dealing with something that's not true. And so what Nehemiah says is, don't, don't do that. State the truth. He said, what you're saying isn't true. You're making it up. That's all he said. And then he prayed, and then he trusted that the truth would prevail. And we can trust that God honors the truth. Verse 10 in Nehemiah chapter 6. One day I went to the house of Shemaiah, son of Deliah, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in, his, shut in at, his ha- at his home. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple. And let us close the temple doors because men are coming to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should a man like me run away? Or should someone like me go to the temple to save his life? I will not go. I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. He had been hired to intimidate me so that I would commit a sin by doing this. And then they would give me a bad name to discredit me. Remember, remember Tobiah and Sanballat, my God, because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Noadiah and how she and the rest of the prophets have been trying to intimidate me. So, Next, what do they do? Well, the, the rumors don't work. So they, they go and they bribe a prophet. They bribe a prophet to tell Nehemiah that people are coming to kill him and try to get him to go into hiding. Now, not only does Nehemiah see this as a false prophecy, but more importantly, Nehemiah realizes that if he goes into this place in the temple, this place in the temple that this prophet is trying to get Nehemiah to go and hide is a place that Nehemiah is not allowed to go in the temple. He is not a priest. He's not allowed in this place. If Nehemiah goes in that place, then he has committed a sin. And if he does go and hide, his enemies will portray him as a coward. So what's his response? He says, look, I'm a leader. I don't run from danger. And the second thing he says is, I'm not going to commit some unlawful act 
just to save my life. Nehemiah knew who he was. If you look back at the, at the passage we read, we read, in verse 11 it says, Should a man like me run away, or should someone like me go into the temple to save his life? Nehemiah knew who he was. So the third lesson for us is know who you are. Know who you are. Nehemiah rejected this false prophecy because he knew who he was and because he knew also who he wasn't. His character determined his decision. He did not try to overreach his authority. And at the same time, he didn't shy away from his God-given authority. For us, we need to remember that we are God's children. And as God's children, all of us are called to a great work. We are called collectively to a great work as a church, but individually, we are called to a great work. We need to remember that if we are called to a great work, that God is invested in it. And if God is invested in it, God is going to empower us to accomplish the task, even in the face of danger. So there's no reason for us to run. God is on our side. God is the one who called us, and God is the one who is empowering us. There's no reason to run. And the second thing is that we have to realize in the face of all of this that we're not God. And the fact that we're not God means that it's not our power. Because what happens sometimes is we get all bold. And we'll, we'll go out and we forget that it's God's power we need to rely on and not our own. And so we find ourselves in trouble because we forgot who we were. And we thought our own power could accomplish these things. So it's a difficult thing to balance boldness and humility. A boldness to do what God's called you to do. But also a humility to know who you are. And that in yourself, your strength is limited. With God, it's limitless. But with you, it's limited. So here's the question. Is it worth it all? Let's look at Nehemiah. Everything he went through to build this wall. Nehemiah was 900 miles away from Jerusalem when he heard about the wall. When he felt the burden to go rebuild it. But Nehemiah had a job. Nehemiah had to, to go and, and get time off from his job. He worked for the king, so that was going to be difficult. Not only did he need to get time off from his job to go do the work, but Nehemiah had to get the resources to do the work. So, you know, right off the bat, there are all these obstacles he's got to get through even before he starts to rebuild. Well, once he gets to Jerusalem, what happens? He runs into all this opposition from all of these people around who were power people who stood to lose a great deal if Nehemiah was successful. So he has opposition from them. And then... He had internal strife that threatened to halt the work. There were people who weren't being treated fairly. So there's all, all this internal stuff going on that he had to deal with. And now he's having to endure personal attacks. So the question is, was it worth it? Well, if you ask Nehemiah, I think he would say yes. Verses 15 and 16. He says, So the wall was completed on the 25th of Elul, which is September, in 52 days. When all our enemies heard about this. All the surrounding nations were afraid and lost their self-confidence because they realized that this work had been done with the help of our God. This monumental task, rebuilding walls that literally were rubble and ruined and burned, 52 days. How many of you have ever had somebody to come put in a new bathroom for you? Or side your house or... 
Sometimes it takes longer than 52 days. Had our house sighted, it took about six months. But my point is, if, if you've ever had any work done around your house, you know how difficult it is working with new materials and new tools. In 52 days, they took rubble and rebuilt a secure wall. That's amazing in 52 days. Not only that, because they were faithful and they accomplished the task and, and didn't let all this other stuff distract them, their enemies, verse 16 tells us, were demoralized. Through prayer and perseverance and courage and obedience and determination and planning and preparation and patience and reliance on God and all the other things that we've talked about the past few weeks, their efforts pay off and they're successful. And the key point in all of this is our faithful God rewards the faithfulness and diligence of his servants. He does. Nehemiah stands as a witness to that fact. Now, if you read verses 19, uh, 17 through 19, you'll find out that the opposition never really stopped. It kept going in some form. However, verses 15 and 16 show us that victory can be achieved in spite of all the opposition that you face if you just persevere and trust God and keep going. One thing I find odd here, though, I, I told you the story of, of Nehemiah. If you remember all the way back in, in chapter 1, that's where he first got the news and the burden about the wall. And then six chapters later, the wall is finally rebuilt and, and all that went into that. Do you realize the completion of the task, the rebuilding of the wall, all that work gets one sentence. One sentence. Man, if I had accomplished that task in 52 days, if I had had all my enemies demoralized at the end, I'd have been writing paragraphs about that. Nehemiah gives it one sentence. He says, so the wall was completed in 52 days. I find that odd. But when you think about it, it's really not that odd. Now, the wall will be dedicated in the grand dedication later in, in Nehemiah. But I think what Nehemiah realizes is that we have finished the physical part of this work, but the spiritual part is still there. Nehemiah realizes that in spite of the completed construction, there, is a lot, there are a lot of ruined lives that he needs to rebuild as well. Nehemiah also realizes that it doesn't matter how secure that wall is around Jerusalem. He knows that before the people were unfaithful to God and those walls didn't matter. The Babylonians came in and just completely destroyed them. So, Nehemiah knows that he needs to deal with the spiritual aspect of the people. That his work is really not done until he does that. Chapters 6 and, and 7 kind of mark the midpoint in Nehemiah's story. For the next part of our study, we're going to be looking at what he did to rebuild ruined lives. And the importance for us is this is it's important for us as a church, it's important for us as a people to be about doing the things that God has called us to do. We're out building, we're out creating ministries, we're out creating opportunities for people. Sometimes we can get so caught up in those things that we forget the people part of it. 
And Nehemiah wants us to remember and, and to realize that all our buildings, all our construction, all our ministries, all that stuff doesn't really matter if we're not going to deal with the ruined lives of people around us. And sometimes those ruined lives are ours. We just haven't noticed it yet. So the call of Nehemiah is, hey, we're done. But we're not done. We've got more to do. Let's pray.